Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, Governor Albert Bryan says that the Virgin Islands is spending more than it's banking. Rebuffing remarks from Senator Donna Fred Gregory, we speak with Hannah Cardi from the Office of Cannabis Regulations. A man who was on the run after being suspected to have played a role in the murder of two St. Croix men is now in the custody of the Virgin Islands Police Department. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. At today's Government House press briefing, Governor Albert Bryan Jr. shared details from a meeting he held over the weekend with legislators to discuss financial issues facing the territory. So during the discussion I brought about to the legislature's attention, a matter of immediate concern is our funds coming in. So this is the first season, uh, off season we've had really since COVID where it was really slow. So in returning back to normal times, uh, our cash flow has been a little slower. So we, we didn't ex collect as much as we expected uh, in the last couple of months during the off season. And so we're slow on vendor payments. Citing inflation, the governor said the territory may be bringing in more cash, but it's also spending more as well. As an administration, and Trigenza and I made a decision to be as responsible as possible with your money. So we're making sure we make the retirement payments. We're making sure we pay WAPA. We're making sure that we pay you your tax returns as much as we can. And of course, we're also paying retroactive wages that are 40 years old, um, including the 8% that we paid before. So we are do doing the responsible thing, but that's putting an incredible uh, crunch on us. Governor Bryan also shared that they've already committed this year to paying income taxes, as well as paying $25 million in retroactive wages. But the money isn't flowing. Um, but we, we remain committed to rectifying the wrongs of the past and making sure that our hardworking public citizens and our, our private citizens as well, they make sure that they get the cash flow and they get their money. So I was talking to the legislature about how do we alleviate that, whether we get a line of credit or extend our line of credit that we have for the recovery. Going back to the subject of retroactive payments, recipients should hopefully see checks before the end of the year. The Department of Finance will begin uh, releasing those retroactive payments uh, this week. We have about 814 checks going out, and we'll keep doing that until we pay out everybody. This is our, keeping with our commitment that I made uh, three years ago to pay at least $25 million back to the uh, employees in retroactive wages that were due for over 40 years. So you look out for those checks coming uh, through. It'll take us a little bit to get through, but we'll get through. And when you get your check, guess what? We have a tax holiday. That's right. You could pay your taxes without fees or penalties. Uh, that lasts until January 31. So we give you a little bit, give us back a little bit. We need the cash flow. If you, if you want to do the government a great Christmas gift and yourself a favor, pay some taxes uh, this holiday season. During a Cannabis Advisory Board meeting, the Executive Director for the Office of Cannabis Regulations, Ms. Hannah Cardi, shared that she was still waiting on action to be taking on amendments to the cannabis use law submitted to the Office of Senator Donna Fred Gregory. The Office of Senator Fred Gregory has stated that the Office of Cannabis Regulations never submitted proposed amendments officially, 
we spoke with director Cardi, who rebuked that assertion. I'm not sure what Senator Fred Gregory was referencing when she said that it wasn't submitted correctly. We have, as part of our testimony, submitted to the legislature the amendments on a number of occasions. We first went to the legislature in March, where we discussed it openly on the floor. That was when Senator Fred Gregory's office received them directly from me. I sent them to Senator Fred Gregory's office on that day as part of participating with the hearing. They told me that we would have a discussion about it afterward. That time never came. We again went to the Senate in June as part of DLCA's budget hearing. I attached it to DLCA's budget hearing request, noting that we asked for amendments. I then forwarded it again after that date. We had a Senate hearing for cannabis in August where it actually came up in the hearing. And from my recollection, Senator Fred Gregory acknowledged that she had received the amendments and that she was going to continue the work on the amendments at the conclusion of the budget cycle. She said she was, I believe, doing the work of the people at the time. So I'm not sure where the miscommunication is happening. Um, If there was something that we needed to do differently than the route that we took, it would have been nice to have had conversations about it at that time. Um, I had spoken to Senator Fred Gregory on the phone about it a few different times. And if there was an issue, it would have been nice to have been able to have that conversation. And so it's very sad that we're having to have this moment now in the media versus the way we were trying to do it, which was to approach her directly and get the job done. Because ultimately, it's not about who is responsible, quote-unquote. It really is just about getting these amendments forward so that we can actually have real traction for cannabis in the Virgin Islands. Adding to the issues surrounding the Office of Cannabis Regulations, the WTGX newsfeed is in receipt of a resignation letter from Executive Director Cardi to Board Chair Dr. Catherine Ken, stating in pertinent part that Cardi has received another work opportunity and that she would stay on board until such time that a replacement can be found. A man by the name of Justine Nisbet, who was on the run after being suspected to have played a role in the murder of two men, is now in custody of the Virgin Islands Police Department. Chief Detective Naomi Joseph recaps the details related to Nisbet's arrest. On April 19, 2021, about 7.47 p.m., 911 received numerous calls of shots being fired in the Ayodhya's housing community. On that night, four people were shot to include a child, and of the four, two died, a Miguel Ramos and a Juan Velasquez. Shortly after that, we were able to obtain enough information that led us to obtaining arrest warrants for several men. We got warrants for Mr. Jamil Williams, Luis Rivera, Guillermo Rivera, Gilberto Rivera, and Justin Nisbet. When we went to execute the warrant on Nisbet, we knew that he had already left the territory. A few days before, um, he was stopped at the Rosen Airport telling 
officials that he was traveling to Georgia to see his mother. So we then went ahead after we executed the warrant and arrested everybody else. We did a media bliss, local as well as social, and we had the federal U.S. Marshal Fugitive Task Force involved with assisting us in trying to locate Mr. Nisbet. Maybe about a month or so ago, Mr. Nisbet applied for entry into the military service, and at that point, we knew where he was. And the U.S. Marshal's Office started doing what they do. And as a result of their hard work, we were able to apprehend Mr. Nisbet without incident on November 27th in Henry County, Georgia. He was subsequently arrested, taken into custody, signed a waiver of extradition, and was brought back home to face those charges on December 15th. We hope that this would bring closure to the family of Juan Velasquez and Miguel Ramos. We have all of the individuals involved under arrest, waiting for their day in front of jury. You're listening to the WTJX News Feed. Lawmakers considered draft legislation sponsored by Senator Angel Bocas Jr., requesting $2.5 million for the Department of Labor to purchase the property on Crown Prince and Zgada in Charlotte Amali from its owners. Labor Commissioner Gary Malloy stated the current location was crucial for purchase so that the department could remain in its location, stating that two other potential buyers are lined up and do not intend to keep the government on as tenants. That justification seemingly annoyed Senator Donna Fred Gregory. What concerns me is we always come with these last-minute things and say other people buying it, we have to make a decision now, etc. It is difficult for us at this time when we see all the challenges that we have with cash flow here in the territory for us to be having this conversation, very frankly. But outside of that, is there or why isn't there any discussion around a lease purchase of this particular property? We've been there only 35 years. So what's the issue? I... Could you restate the question, Senator, because I'm not clear. I'm not going to restate the question. I already put it on the record. I'm not going to restate it. Lease purchase of this property, 35 years, let's lease purchase it. And I am not concerned about who interested in buying the property because I wish to see who they are. The Department of Labor shared that they spend just over $250,000 annually in rent. Commissioner Malloy responded on why a lease purchase agreement was not in consideration. In, in the beginning, Senator, that was the route we were, were headed. But since then, and since the, the process of that fell through, the only option that we have on the table is the one we have right now. If we can't purchase this by the end of the year, it goes to the other individuals who are trying to buy the property. The property next door, property and procurement can speak to this, has already been purchased for another use. And the prospective buyers have already indicated that they do not intend to have the problem of labor as a tenant. The funding source suggestion was to utilize the St. Thomas Capital Improvement Fund, which Senator Bulk has remarked stood at $2.9 million. Senator Donna Frick Gregory shared, however, that the fund was not created for these purchases, but rather capital improvement projects, and clarified that the fund may not be as accurate as Senator Bulk has shared. I know that we've made several obligations against this fund. It says $2.96 million, that's the balance, but it shows no obligations. In the 33rd or the 34th legislature, we moved $1.5 or $1.8 million to fix the Sugar Estate Road. There is no reflection of that ad obligation here. 
This fund does not have sufficient funding to cover this. The Department of Finance needs to go back and do a proper accounting of this report. In total, the Department of Labor has spent $9.3 million in rent and over $500,000 in renovations. Senator Bolquez, citing cost savings, stated that the purchase should be something that's seriously considered. I believe that, you know, there are a few hiccups in the sense of trying to make a solid decision here today, but this is the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do hands down. We're going to be able to save so much money. What we could have done with $9.3 million would have worked wonders in our economy right now. On Saturday, St. Croix residents and visitors gathered at the Lorraine Chicken Shack for the 14th annual Coquito Festival. This year's competition winner, Sean Samwell, won with her Sean's Country Coquito. 2018, I tried my hand uh, at doing it. It took 50 bottles to the Coquito Fest, and I sold out that year. Went back the following year in 2019, uh, increased my number of bottles, and then I got I won third place. We had um, COVID for those two years, went back in 22, which was last year. I got third place again, and now this year I was able to capture the first place. She stated that while Coquito may be a traditional Puerto Rican drink, it's definitely become a Virgin Islands staple. You know, I think it's just a blend of cultures, you know, like my children are of Hispanic descent. My former husband, uh, Robert Ventura, he passed on about 20 years ago, and so... And, you know, that's something that oftentimes I think is just a blend of culture. I think bringing that part of their culture uh, into our culture because we're local. But I think everyone from every culture now, I mean, we have people from the Eastern Caribbean. We have um, black and white Americans that, that come by to buy. I, I think it's just I think it's just becoming a staple that people really look forward to Coquito Fest every year just to sample different flavors and to see, you know, what they like. Former Senator Positive Nelson requested from lawmakers a rezoning of his current residential property in Estate Morningstar on St. Croix to one that could accommodate various uses, including social spaces and outdoor concerts. The Department of Planning and Natural Resources suggested a use variance be granted instead, as the property's current zone already allows for most of the requested uses. Mr. Nelson stated that neighbors initially expressed opposition, citing possible noise pollution and security concerns, but assured lawmakers that he had discussed the matter more in depth and that they were no longer in opposition to the changes in the venue space he calls Serenity's Nest. We already have a bar there, but in order to be legitimate, we need to get it rezoned so that I can get the appropriate license. So that a little out, outside bar is already built. We already do food vending there. I'm not really developing a restaurant. It's really a kitchen cooking area. It's outside venue space. The salon is just pretty much going to be a place where my daughter currently does massages by appointment. So we're just giving her a space where she can have more privacy so people can get massages. Or if somebody wants to do maybe natural hair or, you know, natural nails or something like that. And when you hear say amphitheater, we call, it's like a, we call it the amphitheater stage. It's because of how the land slopes. We have three stages. We call it the amphitheater stage, the patio stage, and the garden stage. Those are different gazebos located in the, at Serenity's Nest based on the activity you want to have that you utilize. So we don't intend to take away from the vibe. It's actually, the vibe is what we want to protect. Actually, that's what, we, that's what we're marketing. With the eco lodges, eco cabins, it allows people to overnight. 
The variance would also come with conditions, including a requirement to cease all activity by 2 a.m., the installation of a buffer of six to seven foot tall trees, and a 25-foot minimum setback from any adjacent properties. You're listening to the WTJX Newsfeed. All Vitran fixed route services will be closed on Christmas and New Year's Day, and on December 26, St. Thomas and St. John ADA services will only operate from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., and on St. Croix from 5 a.m. to 4 p.m. AARP of the Virgin Islands announced the grand opening of the Estate Adventure Pavilion and Trail. Virgin Islands State Director Troy DeShaber-Schuster gave us details on the upcoming event. Every year, AARP awards a Community Challenge Grant to community organizations in each state across the country and the territories of Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands for um, quick turnaround projects that create a more livable community. And so this year, the Virgin Island Trail Alliance received AARP's Community Challenge Grant, and that money went to toward the restoration of the pavilion and the enhancement of the trail at Estate Adventure. The Estate Adventure Pavilion and Trail will open Friday, December 22nd at 9.30 a.m. The event is free and open to the public and all are invited to attend. And Mr. Schuster provided instructions on how to get to the trail for those interested in attending. If you're coming down Queen Mary Highway westbound and you see Spicy Grill on the left and then uh, there's a road that turns to go into to public safety and then right on the other side there's a two-story building that faces Spicy Grill. If you go on just a little bit further, there's a, a little dirt road off to the left. Um, again, directly across from the food pavilion and at the agricultural station. And... You go in there and then there's a little parking area and that's where the trail begins. I went on the trail uh, uh, last week and it's it's really great. It's very easy to walk on it. So even people who may have disabilities, whether you're in a walker or using a cane, uh, even if you're in a wheelchair, you know, with some help, uh, if you're in a wheelchair, that is, you can make your way along the trail and there are handicap accessible park benches that are installed. So it's it's really a wonderful experience, and we hope that people come out to the opening and also that that people will use the trail going into the future and and really enjoy it. As we continue in the news feed, we turn now to our regional report. A Barbados-registered company called Orbit Service Partners is partnering with Verily, a San Francisco-based technology company, to release mosquitoes across the Caribbean that's bred with a bacterium that blocks the dengue virus. Orbit Chairman Anthony De Silva said that the companies have been meeting with government officials in the Caribbean region, and they are hoping to launch the project early next year and would target areas like Barbados, Guyana, Jamaica, St. Kitts and Nevis, the Dominican Republic, and Haiti. Mosquitoes would be infected with the Wolbachia bacterium in a laboratory and then released into the wild, where it's then passed on to the mosquito's offspring. The bacterium prevents the dengue fever from replicating inside the mosquito's gut. De Silva said the partnership has been three years in the making and was delayed by the pandemic. The proposal, however, is still pending approval in individual Caribbean nations. The Caribbean, along with the Americas, has reported more than 4 million dengue cases so far this year, the highest number since record-keeping began in 1980. As we progress in the news feed, 
Returning now to the territory's weather forecast. Here's the latest look at the short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We'll find mostly sunny skies this afternoon area-wide. There's the chance for a few scattered showers at St. Croix near sunset. Temperatures are warmer in the upper 80s to near 90. Winds are a bit stronger from the east at 15 to 20 with gusts as high as 25. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find more sun, a bit cooler. Highs only reach the middle 80s. Winds from the east at 15 to 20 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 25. Tonight, feature scattered showers area-wide early, then a decrease in clouds after midnight. Lows will fall back into the middle 70s at St. Croix. Winds from the east at 10 to 15, gusts occasionally near 20. At St. Thomas and St. John, temperatures are similar in the middle 70s. Winds from the east at 15 to 20 miles per hour, then weakening after midnight. And we'll find mostly sunny skies during the day on Tuesday area-wide. There is the chance for a shower or two in the afternoon. Highs reach the middle 80s at St. Croix. Winds from the east only at 10 to 15 miles per hour. And at St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find sunshine as well with, again, a shower in the afternoon. Winds from the east at 10 to 15 miles per hour with highs in the middle 80s. That's the latest look at your short-term forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTJX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. If you haven't already, be sure to download the WTJX app. And if you missed a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.